Reference to or information about any specific product or service by name, trade name, trademark, or service mark in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of that product or service. And now on to the episode. Welcome back to Better Money with Elements Financial. I'm your host, Miranda Finley. I'm a certified financial wellness facilitator who has worked with thousands of people in all walks of life, and I'm also a real person with real financial experiences. I'll chat from both personal and professional viewpoints to help make your money better. It's college graduation season. What an exciting time to celebrate the end of a chapter and the beginning of a new one, filled with life lessons, some that can be painful to learn the hard way. Today, we're going to walk through what we wish we would have known in our early 20s about money that we now know. We're sharing with our, from our lived experiences in this episode, and while we know that that might be different from your experience, we're financial experts here to help you navigate your financial journey. Here to do it with me is Eliza Claiborne, a fellow Elements Relationship Manager who has the privilege to work in and around higher education with our valued partner, Butler University. Welcome to Better Money, Eliza. Thanks, Miranda. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited that you're here. I think a great place to start is knowing what is a priority to you and setting goals will help you align with what is important. So some examples of setting goals in your early 20s that I would think that it would be important to focus on is gaining employment. So if you're freshly out of school or you're entering the workforce um, for the first time, gaining employment and working your way up to employment that you're comfortable and that aligns with the financial goals that you might have. Uh, opening bank accounts for the first time. There may have been accounts established for you initially, but maybe that financial institution isn't serving you or there are fees associated that you're uncomfortable with. So finding a financial institution and opening um, not just a checking account, um, but a savings account as well. Overtaking bills that you may not have been responsible for always. So maybe your um, loved ones, your family took care of your insurance or took care of um, a cell phone bill that you'll now be responsible for. Anticipating loan payments that might be coming due. So um, as of um, right now at the time of recording, it looks like the student loan um, pause may be lifted in about three months time. Um, That could be extended, but at some point those student loan payments will start coming due if you do have student loans. So working that into a budget and anticipating that. And then, of course, like saving for living arrangements, moving for a job, a car that you may not have had or a more reliable vehicle emergency, things like that. So when it comes to goals, why do you think it's important to kind of set those goals and and what what measures do you think they should take in setting those goals? Yeah. Well, first off, you touched on it using a smart goal, but but really it needs to be attainable is, you know, setting a goal that's to save $1,000 for your emergency savings. That's, you know, what you should minim- minimally have in a savings account for emergencies. You know, is is saving $1,000 in six months attainable? Is it 12 months? Is it three months? You have to look at your at your finances and figure out what is obtainable. And if it's not obtainable, you're going to end up giving up because you can't reach that goal and it's going to be frustrating. So make sure that you're really focusing on what is feasible with what your income is to reach those goals so that you don't give up. Um, and another thing to write your goals down because it's huge. It's, it is statistically, and I don't know the statistics, so I'm not going to like try and give you a number, but it is statistically higher to reach a goal if you write it down versus just thinking about mm-hmm. it. 
I think it's 3% of adults who have goals, only 3% write them down. So I'm mean, going to guess that those people are probably more successful than the 97% that don't, right? Yes, exactly. I've also really found that as I've gotten a little bit further down the road, because I am a pretty goal-oriented person and I had a lot of goals in my early 20s, that those goals felt like mountains to me. They felt like I, it was just like I had my head down and I was grinding and that I was never going to get there. And then now that I'm a little bit down the road, I can see um, how far I've come, you know, that that thing that felt unattainable up front um, at a certain age, now I can, you know, I can see how far I've come beyond that goal. I recently had a Facebook post kind of pop up that, you know, I was struggling to pay off my student loans and I was celebrating because it's around tax time. So I'm assuming I put my tax check onto my student loan balance and paid down on the principal. And I never thought I would do that. I never thought I would get past those loans. I remember feeling like I was just never going to get there. And seeing that Facebook post now and knowing that I eventually went on to pay off those loans and then now achieve several other financial steps that I've hoped for, it was just really rewarding to, you know, to kind of take a second and bask in that, that like, you know, I'm, I'm further down the road than I thought I was. So having those goals will give you those benchmarks for success, I think. Yeah. My husband and I were actually talking this morning um, about goals and and moving the needle. And every day we're moving the needle, but we don't feel it because it's just those like micro movements. And so, you know, those micro movements really do end up moving the needle where you can see it. So just something to think about because I, I, when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, okay, so things, it takes time. So you have to give yourself that that grace that that it's not going to, you know, happen overnight by any Absolutely. means. Uh, so we want to equip you with a couple tools um, that will help you once you've set those goals. Um, and as you're heading into your early 20s, I know we harp on setting a budget a lot, but I think it's important to understand where your money is going. And um, when it comes to budgeting, there's just a few things we want to touch on. Um, So there's going to be a lot of different resources out there, right, Eliza? There's 100 different ways to budget. So finding a solution that works for you is going to be trial and error. So what are some suggestions that you have for those that are establishing a budget for the first time? Again, do what works for you. Like for me, pen and paper really works. But a lot of people, that's very old school, which I get. So um, but if, if there's an app that works for you, then use it. If if it's pen and paper, then use it. If it's an Excel file, then then figure out the the biggest thing is is making sure that you are writing it down in some sort of fashion so that you can stick to your budget. Um, because again, writing it down, you're going to be more apt to stick to the budget, just like a goal. Um, so as long as you are setting them, writing them down, entering them, whatever whatever means you're you're making your goal in stick to it and also understand too that it's fluid it doesn't have to be i'm making my budget today and this is how it's going to be forever if something's not working then you can adjust it so just remember that that it doesn't have to be set in stone forever really the goal is just to understand generally how much we have incoming versus how much we have outgoing and making sure that we have money left over at at the end of the day Um, So that brings us into talking about living below our means, which is really important, particularly in times that we're facing today with some economic stressors that we've been feeling. So starting out modestly and working up to larger goals is something that I think is really important. What suggestions do you have there? 
you know, you're, you're getting out of college, for instance, and you've been living with your parents and you are kind of perhaps accustomed to a certain lifestyle, that might not be how it works right after, after college, because ultimately you're on your own now, you know, going back to your budget, looking at your savings, figuring out how you can not just live paycheck to paycheck and setting those goals for your budget, I think are really going to be where you can cut back. Like look at, look at the things that you have that, you know, that you're paying for right now, or that you want to pay for after college. Is it all of the streaming things? Is it cable? Is it, you know, whatever, whatever the things are that you think you are going to want and plug those into a budget and see if that's going to be feasible for you. And if it's not, because that will, you know, leave you working paycheck to paycheck or living paycheck to paycheck, for instance, then look at where you can cut back. Is it taking on a roommate or more than one roommate? Whatever whatever those things are that, that will allow you to not be financially stressed every month as far as how you're going to pay for things um, and truly living below what you are bringing home so that you can feel secure yeah, absolutely. In your finances. Because I promise if you do it step by step like that and you analyze, is this feasible for me right now? Um, or is it something I need to work up to? And you wait until the point where you can truly afford the thing that you want. So afford to upgrade a vehicle, afford to get streaming services that you want, afford to travel, um, whatever it may be in your life that you are analyzing right now and is maybe not feasible. When you get to the place financially that you can do those things, and you've done it in a way that you can make sure it's affordable to you, that it's not going to um, cause financial stress, that it's not going to cause you to go into debt to do that. Um, it's 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 going to feel a lot better. It's going to feel really good to know that you reach that goal organically instead of forcing it more quickly than what you could afford. So next up is saving. Um, building the habit early, paying yourself first. We've heard it all, right? We talk a lot about using a tool and automating. Um, so automation can be a really, really helpful thing. So taking your direct deposit that you might be getting from your employer and splitting it so that a portion automatically goes into savings. Um, but there are a couple different ways to save. So we've got the short-term saving to make sure we're saving for those emergencies that Eliza mentioned at least $1,000 um, and then working ourselves up to three to six months of expenses set aside, but then also long-term savings. So retirement contributions, um, we hear it all the time, don't leave money on the table. So what does that mean, Eliza? Yeah. So this is something I wish that I would have known, like as a, as a younger person in my 20s, for instance, is um, one, to just start saving in general. But two, to start investing early, um, our wealth management department put a statistic together that if you start investing $3,000 at 6% annually, in your 20s, you will have earned, um, by, by 65, you will have earned um, about $680,000. Uh, if you do that, if you wait until you're 35, then you're at 254000 and if you start at 45 years old, um, it's about 120000 So it really, really, really pays to start investing earlier versus later um, yeah, just because of that interest. compounding interest. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's your friend. Yep. Um, it's not timing the market. It's time in the market. So just letting that money work for you over time. 
Um, so not leaving any money on the table as you start to work, making sure that you take advantage, particularly if your employer offers an employer-sponsored retirement plan that has a match. Do not um, don't contribute less than that match. That match is gonna that's free money for you. That's what they say. Don't leave money on the table. And then right now, if if your if your employer doesn't offer an, an employer-sponsored program, maybe seeking out some other options like an IRA. Um, if you have questions about how to do that, we have a full wealth management division that can assist you in talking about options because it's not something that I knew about in my 20s, um, things that I've had to learn about. But I am very thankful that when I got to Elements, that it was stressed to me how important it was to start investing and and to start contributing it, kind of an uncomfortable amount for me <laughs> in my early 20s that I'm now like very thankful that that money has been sitting and working for me in that retirement account. One thing too, I don't know if, I don't think you mentioned this, but at a minimum, we want to pay ourselves at 10% of our take home, putting that in our savings. Thanks for putting a number on that. Yeah. So, I mean, and ultimately it's 10%, but if you can do more, that's fantastic. If you can't do 10%, do something, just start somewhere to start building that, that emergency savings, that liquid savings that you have for, for, um, emergencies, rainy days, et cetera. And then the last thing we want to touch on today is credit um, and how important it is to establish credit the right way um, early on. I've shared several times that early on, my credit took several hits and I spent a lot of my 20s trying to make up for that, trying to do the right things credit wise so that I wasn't paying for that anymore. And so we describe credit like a financial GPA. Uh, It captures part of your financial picture, but not all of it. And um, it's going to matter to several people, to matter matter to landlords, potentially um, creditors. Obviously, if you're asking for credit, you would like to buy a car or a home. Eventually, they're going to be looking at it and then potentially employers. Um, Not every employer has this policy, but I know Elements does because we handle a lot of sensitive information. Um, So building credit wisely can save you a lot of trouble and money in the long run, which is why we, we wanted to touch on it. Um, and then utilizing credit cards properly. So a lot of people's first first experiences with credit come in the form of credit cards. And so what would you tell them, Eliza, about using those credit cards? Yes, it is er- it is good to start early getting a credit card um, to establish your credit because length of credit history is a is a larger portion of what makes up your credit report or credit score, the earlier, the better. But the biggest thing is using it and using it wisely. Um, And what does that mean? What does using it wisely mean? So it's not going out and maxing it out by any means. It's when you first start getting, you first get a credit card, it's putting a tank of gas on that credit card for the month and then paying it off because you need gas. You've budgeted for that gas. So you know you can afford to pay it off. So that's that's really where I say to start when you start building your your understanding how to use a credit card is start small. And then you, if you are able to, you can work up to putting perhaps um, groceries on that credit card. Um, but also you want to only use 30% of that available credit. Um, so if you have $1,000 of credit, for instance, you only want to use $300 of that uh, uh, on that credit card. But th- those are the couple things that I really stress when I talk about how to start understanding how to use your credit card. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it, they're, they can be just slippery slopes, right? It's easy to overspend on a credit card. It's easy to worry about the payment later. 
Um, and statistics show that Gen Z is being deeply affected by this and the rise of cost in goods. So TransUnion put out a survey recently that said Gen Z credit card balances are up 65% year over year. And so it's using a credit card properly and only using a credit card um, that is backed by cash. So what I mean is if you use $50, um, use your credit card and spend $50 on it, then you have $50 in your checking account to pay for that. You're not spending on your credit card money that you don't have to pay that credit card off in full. So they can be really slippery slopes. Um, and and you, you had an experience with this, yes. right, Eliza? Yes, I was going to plug this in. So yes, so when I, I gosh, I, I mean, 22, maybe 23, um, I had gotten a credit card when I was 19 and um, – I didn't understand it, basically. I mean, I knew that it was credit and I knew that I would have to pay it back, but I didn't think of it that way. I really thought about it as sort of free money for a while. Um, and I got into some some credit card debt that made me very, very uncomfortable. And I, I ended up obviously paying it off. Um, it was painful to pay off, but I did it. But the biggest thing that I learned is that I'm not somebody that can use my credit card for everyday expenses. I have to budget my money. If it's, it's more, I think it's a control thing. Like if it's in my checking account, I have control over it. If it's on a credit card, I don't have control over it because I don't see it leaving. Um, so I think it's just really important to know what kind of person you are as far as being able to use a credit card. Are you able to, to say, okay, yes, I have X amount of dollars in my checking account to pay for this expense that I'm putting on my credit card or do I not? So learn from my mistakes, basically. <laughs> well, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so glad that we got to chat. Um, if you are one of our listeners um, that is associated with Butler University, please stop on camp campus and say hi to Eliza. She is there really frequently, aren't you, Eliza? You hold regular yeah. office hours. She teaches classes. Most incoming freshmen will see her face during welcome week. Um, and so if you are on campus, please stop by and say hi to Eliza and then um, stay tuned because upcoming uh, we'll introduce Dean Estevez, the director of strategic partners for Butler University to join us for some questions on this topic and then a bonus episode on how Butler is changing the landscape of higher education. Thanks for being here, Eliza. Thanks so much, Miranda. I want to take the time to introduce Dean Estevez, Executive Director of Butler University's Office of Strategic Engagement, to join us for some fun questions about money in your early 20s. So, Dean, if you could talk to your 23-year-old self, what would you want them to know about money? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today, Miranda. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great question. Uh, and the answer I'd give my 23-year-old self has evolved significantly over the last... 25 years. Uh, I would say that at the very highest level, that time is actually more valuable than money. Because at 23 years old, coming from the background that I came from, which was definitely a blue collar, uh, a background, first generation college student, was benefited to have a very good job uh, to start uh, my career. Uh, everything became about uh, revenue and expenses. So money in, money out. But as I look back on things now uh, and kind of that ambition that I, th that I probably had early on, uh, experiencing kind of good income at an early age, 
uh, I would actually give myself the advice that time and experiences are more valuable than money. And I probably would reorient some of my activities to focus a little bit more on putting money to use to achieve some of those things. Interesting. So you would have said instead of focusing on making more and doing more, that you you wish that you would have had more time invested in those experiences that you can have in your early 20s. And I, and I find something similar too. So now that I've been at my job for a, a decade, you know, I have all this vacation time <laughs> stored up and I've evolved income wise. Um, it's tough to take that vacation, you know, when you're, when, when you're a little bit older, it's tough to find the time to take, to step away. And so you're saying those experiences would have mattered more to you, um, and probably would have taught you some different things. Yeah, I think, I think I still would have been ambitious. I, mm -hmm. I still would have, uh, worked very hard to make as much money as possible because I definitely had that type of early Drive. approach, but, mm -hmm. uh, I think I would probably... Uh, invested a little differently and I would invest it in more experiences and value the time that I had that at that point didn't I didn't realize uh, as I've matured that that time was more available then than just the natural order of life yes. has allowed it to be now yes free time becomes um, a lot more spare <laughs> as you get older and as your life evolves as you get a family things like that so Great answer. Um, next up, if it, do you have a financial lesson in particular from your 20s um, that changed how you viewed money? So no specific uh, instance that jumps out that this one thing happened mm -hmm. and it changed how I view money. I would actually go back to my previous answer and maybe pull on that string a little bit more. In terms of thinking about money, and time and all of the resources and assets that you have as a younger person uh, through the lens of investment. So I, I would say that I was very early in my career, I was very much focused on again, revenue and expenses, mm -hmm. bringing money in as much money as possible, what that meant for what I could buy, what I could have, the expenses for, of a house and that car, everything that I wanted. Yeah. Um, and then also saving, right? So I broke everything down into the lens of revenue, expenses, savings. Very probably academic in nature mm -hmm. that it's great, sounds yeah. good. Theoretically, I didn't ever, early on, I didn't think through what it was like to invest in things, truly actually invest in things. Uh, and that includes money. So mm -hmm. it includes my entire financial life and mm -hmm. how you actually make investments into things both short-term and long-term investments, but then also how you invest your energy into things and like kind of your passions and purpose, like what your purpose is and things. And so I would probably, if I, I look back now, uh, and I'm not sure where the switch happened where I really started to value what making an investment in something meant. It was something that was kind of a slow change, but from a financial perspective, it, the way I look at it now is when I look at I don't look at things as being an expense anymore. I rarely look at things as being an expense. I look at everything through the lens of an investment. And sh I certainly have frivol frivolous expenses and right. things I, I probably waste money on. But I also try and think through things through the lens of how am I investing this money? Because it's a limited resource. Um, even as your you know, career progresses and you're right. doing well, you also have more people that you're responsible for. And so how, how I invest everything around my financial life, uh, which includes time, 
attention, yeah. all of that stuff. It's so actually what I'm hearing is when you think about how to spend time or more or money, one of your valued resources, you're thinking about what value it's going to provide back to you yeah. before you take that step. Right. Yeah. And so sometimes value is monetary. So actually physically investing your money in the market is going to provide monetary value to you one day when you retire. But then the money that or the time you spend with your kids, um, the experiences that you take time to a monetarily invest in and b take the time to do those are going to provide value back to your life, um, provide you rest, relaxation, quality time, things like that. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah. So it's funny because in your business life, you think about return on investment all the time. I don't, I didn't really think about return on investment personally. That's interesting. Yeah. No, that's Very a really interesting on. perspective. Yeah. Great. Well, I kind of wanted to dive in. Um, obviously, so you work with Butler University. Um, strategic engagement is the office that you're over and you're constantly looking at and thinking about what is impacting your students, um, higher education, your future students, things like that. So what challenges are you seeing with new grads um, or even current enrollees? I come at this from a couple different perspectives. So I'm, I'm in the administration, so I don't work directly with students on a daily basis. I am a father to um, two kids. Both are in high school. My daughter will actually be uh, going off to college next year. So we've gone through that kind of pre-college experience. So I have that lens. Mm -hmm. And then I work with a lot of faculty and staff at the university right. that are working directly with students. Uh, and then in, in our role in our Office of Strategic Engagement, a major mission that we have is really to um, facilitate linkage and opportunity to the broader community um, for Butler as a whole. And our mission is really focused on students. And so um, kind of secondarily or tangentially, everything that we do is impacting students mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So as far as challenges for new grads today, I think they're the same challenges that we all face. Uh, I think that some younger people have definitely, especially coming out of the pandemic, they've uh, gone through learning disruption and mm -hmm. experiential disruption. And so they're facing some unique challenges in how to engage with a broader community. And when I see that is... That has been a major challenge for everybody. As the world has gotten more complicated, it's also gotten more integrated. And so um, the, the people that are navigating that environment most successfully right now are the people that understand how interconnected everything are, uh, or everything is. And so uh, I think that's a challenge for some of the younger students coming up now that actually had to face some somewhat isolated learning disruption and experiential disruption to actually get that kind of connectivity um, muscle memory going and, and back because it is really difficult to navigate your professional life, your personal life, no matter what you're doing without finding that interconnectedness with people. I mean, and I'm a little biased, right? Like our, our office is completely focused on partnerships and a, and a broad array of industries, sectors, things like that. So I'm sure I bring that lens to this whole thing. Uh, but I also have the opportunity to see how much they can help you in your life, um, at, whether you're just looking at your own individual career, whether you're looking at supporting your organization or your nonprofit or your volunteer work, whatever it is, creating that connectivity with the broader community accelerates everything that you want to do. And it also brings a purpose that, and passion to people's personal lives that brings them a lot more happiness at the work that they're doing or volunteer work. So I, I think that's a challenge um, that hopefully in higher ed, 
um, if we are doing our jobs appropriately, we are hopefully um, bringing new opportunities and trying to and bring some innovation to how we deliver new experiences to maybe help close that gap. Dean's going to be joining us for our next episode, Innovation in Higher Education, to chat about the environment of higher education, um, what that's looking like these days, and what Butler's doing specifically to equip their students for success to remain at the forefront of post-secondary education. You won't want to miss it. Thank you for being with us today, Dean. Thank you so much. Elements is extending a huge congratulations to you if you're a recent or upcoming college graduate. Thank you for joining us on Better Money with Elements Financial as we talked through money in your early 20s. We hope you were able to take something away from this to help make your money better. Find more episodes at elements.org slash better money or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review. Reach out at bettermoney at elements.org with any questions that you may have. We'll catch you on the next one.